0: Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Antonia Darter. In part two, she's going to talk about the arts uh, and her life as a visual artist and a poet and how she uses that in her teaching to create empowered classrooms and to keep student voices as central. There are some schools uh that are that try to include the arts and they have steam instead right. of
1: stem, even right. though
0: the a is it's probably a small a among the capital letters of the other consonants
1: and even uh, there you know the, the the manner in which the arts becomes constructed as a commercial i mean as a commercialized uh um enterprise rather than uh-huh. the arts as as part of human expression and communication and part mm-hmm. of our well-being you know, that that somehow the commodification yeah. of the arts within that context cannot be uh, um, denied nor can, it, can can we neglect to mm-hmm. to recognize what is going on in terms of how the arts are being framed within that context.
0: Yeah, and uh, in your work you use um, a lot of your own visual art and also poetry and I was reminded of um, Maxine Greene's writings about this and the the importance of um, you know the imagination and yeah. um, you know thinking uh, with a different side of the brain. Um, so could you talk about it? Why this is is um, nurturing probably, and also what if what effects you've seen it have in the classroom and and how um, you utilize it in a classroom. Yeah I, I to me
1: I would not have survived if I if I did not you know find a way to express myself artistically whether mm-hmm. it, whether that be in um, writing songs or poetry mm-hmm. or painting you know that these have wow. absolutely been essential um, places for me to be able to express a aspect of my humanity that often mm-hmm lost within the context of, you know, cognitive engagements, um, mm-hmm. with, with, you know, uh, you know, the theory of, of of pedagogy, the theory of critical pedagogy, um, or what have you, because, you know, I am a theorist, and I and but I but so much of my work within the classroom is how I come to my theory is so you know linked to the actual lived experience. Yet mm-hmm. it has been a struggle. It has not. My path has been a very, you know, rough path, path okay. in the sense that I would not wish it on anyone, I mean, because I was I came to the field at a time when many of us were having to push, you know, really push against walls that were. Um, mm-hmm attempting to keep our voices from being heard and our perspectives from having any influence. And often we're only allowed a certain amount of influence. If that influence begins to, to, uh-huh. to threaten the structures and values of the institution, uh-huh. at that point, there's a, a interesting way in which our voices are marginalized and our work is marginalized. So uh-huh. uh, in order to persevere, because so much of this work has been about um, a willingness to persevere. Mm-hmm. It has required then that I find ways in order to continue, you know, to, to, to not lose my humanity. To <laughs> be honest. Yeah. Humanity. And for many people, it, it it has been important that through the arts, they're able to more engage with the, the spirit of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, unencumbered. By the words and unencumbered by all these, you know, theoretical um, mm-hmm. entanglements that can, that can take place, all these abstractions that can take place, it creates a kind of, you know, a medium directly to mm-hmm. our soul, and so that is very, very nurturing, and I think that that's a very necessary aspect of humanity, and one of the ways in which humanity across mm-hmm. the board, I believe, has been um, oppressed has been in the manner in which more and more and more and more their opportunities for that kind of expression to occur have been more and more cur- curtailed, you uh-huh. know, and especially see it in, in terms of working class communities. The first programs that are, that are, are, are you know, uh, axed, you know, um, yeah. are, yeah. are, are the arts. And I, I believe that that the arts is a place that allows us to remember who we really are, who we truly are, and it and it 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 nourishes our relationship with ourselves, which is central uh-huh. to our political work. I mean, you have to know who the hell you are. You yeah. have to know who you are so that you understand how you're responding to the world, and you can take responsibility for how you're responding to the world. So that yeah. the, I see the arts as having an enormous um, place in our intellectual formation, our mm-hmm. emotional formation, and our spiritual formation. So within the classroom, whenever there's opportunities for that, I encourage students. I encourage students when they're doing PowerPoints to bring um, artistic renditions in whatever form, you know, whether photography or, or, or mm-hmm. in whatever form, in order to, to, to enliven. In, in many ways, enliven those those theoretical constructs that they're trying to um, express in 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 the sense of attempting to give a a, a to break the linear the linearity of it and instead bring the experiential dimension that speaks to us beyond the words themselves.
0: Mm. That's yeah. Thanks. Um, so what does this Can you give an example of what this looks like in a classroom where you think this is working really well? You just talked about, you know, how a student would use uh, PowerPoint with their own bringing their own humanity to bear in it. Um, But what is this kind of cultural democracy or, you know, the talk of democratic classrooms, which is utopian. It's a utopian project, to be sure. But but what does that kind of empowered um, classroom look like to you? I I think it's a kind of classroom that
1: many of us are, are attempting to to create, you know, where where there's where the issue of students' voices are central, right? Where, mm-hmm. where if students ask questions, you don't say to them, Oh, well, we're gonna get to that next week or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Or or you say, Well, that's interesting, and you go on. But instead, every question that is that is brought to the table, no matter what your initial reaction might be, like you might even feel annoyed by the question. You know, yeah. it, it, it. We have to have the necessary, you know, capacity and criticality to to bracket our own, you know, you know, knee jerk response to something and believe that there is something more trying to be expressed, that there is greater meaning in what is going on with that student. So uh-huh. that means that there is a sense of respect. And so trying to understand where the student's intervention is coming from and Mm -hmm. and understanding that that part of a democratic classroom is that they have the right to bring that intervention and that we as educators have the responsibility to be responsive to their interventions and to have the courage to engage their interventions in ways that are meaningful, not just to the student and the teacher, but to Uh the 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 community of learners who have who are who are together yeah. in that moment trying to make sense of a concept or trying to make sense of certain mm-hmm. conditions or yeah. particular theories or what have you so that's an important piece and I, I use mm-hmm. an example of a use of of the arts that 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 um, this is a real simple one, but they often, uh, we want students to understand who they are, right? Like in a teacher education program, you know, if you really, you know, want students to be able to be responsive in that classroom, they have to know who they are and they have to know what are the things that are important to them, mm-hmm. how they make sense of themselves. And so one of the, one of the, the projects I've used in the past has been where, um, I would have I bring you know large butcher block paper yeah. lots, lots of pens and you know paints uh-huh. and whatever and they would work uh, as partners and they would they would uh trace their bodies on uh-huh. yeah. you know uh-huh. and then, then they were to take their body and they were to you know paint it or um uh-huh. you know create whatever images within that body that represented them who they are. And there are things that would come out in that, in using the art, you know, the the art medium in Mm -hmm. in, in that moment, that would not necessarily come out if I gave them 10 minutes to talk about themselves.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Because it mobilizes another aspect of of themselves. I think it, it mobilizes a more, integral sense of their being their 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 intellect their body their mind and their spirit it, uh-huh. and it, it allows a kind of alignment that, that often doesn't happen easily when they're just trying to abstract their experience and so then when when they they've completed you know their their bodies then uh-huh. Process of engaging those bodies in dialogue, in small dialogues, you know, so that in groups, and then they come back and they talk about what the similarities and differences in in what they saw in each other's bodies mm. and what they learned yeah. about themselves in in doing in doing that uh, exercise, right? And uh-huh. so, so through that that kind of multiplicity of ways of of, of considering who they are, we began. We begin to have a sense of who they are and how and and where they believe it came from, you know. So, the, so yes. that gets them to begin thinking who they are culturally, who they are in terms of their gender, who they are in terms of their spirituality, who mm-hmm. they are in terms of their emotions, um, yes. how they, how, what is their vision of themselves that they carry?
0: Mm-hmm. And to raise that up and respect it. Right,
1: right. And, and where their own limitations are.
0: Yeah. What uh, we've been talking about, you know, education as a, a political act, as a personal communal act, as a transformative act. Um, what are your uh, dreams for critical pedagogy in the future? I mean, it, where do you see it at the current moment uh, and what do you think is about to happen or needs to happen? With critical pedagogy? I think,
1: I, I think part of what is happening with critical pedagogy, as you see these offshoots, is uh-huh. exactly what should happen. I mean, critical pedagogy in and of itself, you uh-huh. know, or particular ways of thinking of the world and, 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 and particular principles that would help us to think through the conditions in which we find ourselves, right? But with those conditions then ha, are, are enacted they're expressed and they're enacted in different ways and the struggles within different communities are mm-hmm. expressed and enacted in different ways and embodied in different ways right so uh-huh. i think what we're seeing is this kind of diversification uh, mm-hmm. of the critical pedagogy project which i which rather than being than thinking about you know what's wrong with critical pedagogy or, or what isn't happening yeah. with critical pedagogy, it it is more saying this is exactly what this this is what the project was intended to to open up the field of engagement, right. and that's what we see happening. However, there's also um, there's also elements in relationship of the decolonizing dimensions of critical pedagogy and recognizing that you know in what ways does the critical pedagogy project that you know where what are its limitations uh-huh. in, in that it came forth from you know a, a european you yes. know yeah. critical theories roots are in uh-huh. are in in europe i mean you know, they come from the frankfurt school and others right uh, yeah. um, so you know, thinking through what those limitations are and the willingness of critical pedagogy to be self reflective uh-huh. and reflective, both, uh-huh. and, and to be willing to engage in self critique with the very essence of the dialogue, which is one of its major principles.
0: Uh-huh.
1: On the yeah. other hand, It Mm -hmm. can be lost that that principles of critical pedagogy also are an offshoot of Paulo Freire's work. uh And Paulo Freire was clearly a decolonizing, an early decolonizing scholar. Uh Because the context in which he was working in was a colonized context. Uh So it it is to say that, that critical pedagogy is only uh, uh, European base is is an error, is a mistake. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But but we cannot deny that there are elements there that we need to question and consider in our work.
0: Yeah, yeah and you're addressing um, some of the past critiques of feminist and uh, you know those who claim it's it's too bought into postmodernism and and not raising up enough of the borderlands. Um, mm-hmm. But but even Freire in his his own life, you know, with the sexist language for that was there in nineteen seventy and you know his own uh, evolution uh, mm-hmm. through that um, uh, is is really important to look at. So um, uh, I don't know that many colleagues who would st- say that they are, engaging in critical pedagogy. They're interested in methodology and teaching practices from team-based learning to um, you know, discussion and and, you know, and those things can of course, you know, given Stephen Brookfield's work and others, you know, be you know, totally immersed in a critical pedagogy framework uh, or not. Um, uh, You know, and in tricks of the trade, so to speak, Uh, but not in the, the structural and, you know, systemic uh, discourses within educational theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think your work on um, race and, and racism, um, is, especially that documentary I mentioned at the very beginning that uh, privileges student voices in a way that I think is really instructive. Um, And also how they built a movement to make change at the university. Um, But you talk about uh, the racisms, plural, Um, and you know this was ten years ago, a little over ten years ago uh, when that documentary was made, and it's just as current now as it was then, um, I think. So um, critical pedagogy is um, uh, engaging not just you know those systems at our universities but you know the sort of meta structure that the current administration in the United States has uh, bequeathed us uh, recently and so where do you see um, you know what are the organizations the uh, the groups that are doing work where you um, that you see that are engaging this in really positive ways.
1: Well, I mean, I think there there's you know different groups uh, uh, across the country. I mean, um, UTLA um, and and the teachers unions that have been really pushing back uh-huh. uh, in the last couple of years. Um, many of them have been coming from from a a, a critical Pedagogical perspective, or a more radical perspective of education, um, and 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 demanding, you know, a an education, a just education for all children. And it has gone; the, those those teacher um, uh, strikes have gone beyond just simply the question of of money, you know. Yeah. And as a consequence, I mean, in Los Angeles last year, um, what we saw for example, were businesses and parents, you know, uh-huh. coming out in support of teachers in a way that we had never seen. It was historic. And, it, and I don't think that uh-huh. enough yet has been written on this, but I think that it will be because it's happening in other parts, you know, of the country. Yeah. So I think that, that there's been, you know, some efforts there. There's been, you know, a longstanding effort by groups like um, uh, Rethinking Schools, mm-hmm. You know, to create forums and, mm-hmm. and opportunities uh, for teachers to speak their truth and uh-huh. teachers who are concerned about issues of racism and sexism and uh, homophobia and class inequality um, and Islamophobia and all of these different ways in which injustices manifest themselves in the classroom. Yeah. Today. Uh-huh. So there, there is, you know, we see. Um, uh, you know, in in Chicago, I mean, the 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 incredible uh, pushback there uh-huh. people from the union, uh, along with community people, um, uh, mm-hmm. embarked to push. Uh, you know, the 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 creating of of more and more charter schools and the destruction of uh, public schools yeah. within you know poor, in particular, poor black communities. Um, mm-hmm. And Latino communities. So, you know, you have some incredible people who have been, you know, moving forward. I mean, folks in New York who are pushing in, 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 uh, in, in different parts of the country, in Puerto Rico, you know, as a consequence of, of you know, the, um, the, uh-huh. and its impact, you know, there's a whole uh, uh, public education campaign that has been uh, uh-huh. launched by Ajiarte. You know, that has mm-hmm. been pushed in terms of the, responsi- the, the the need and responsibility of the state to educate our children.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: I think that, you know, and I mean, we can, uh, anywhere you go, you just have to, you know, you, you look and, and, and you begin to see that there are uh, folks who are doing tremendous work um, mm-hmm. to, to push back on the negative impact of privatization uh, and the ways in which often our children have been abandoned to these
0: corporations and, you know, um, Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, the charter school movement is is really big here in the state of Georgia, too. Right. Um, yeah. I uh, wanted
1: to respond yes. to something. You know, you were talking about not seeing a lot of Folks kind of embracing critical pedagogy. I, mm-hmm. I think part of the problem that we're dealing with is a culture of the academy. It is a very competitive culture, mm-hmm. and you know it it it, it has a, a very deceptive move towards you know innovation, innovation, and and so so you know rather rather than than diving deep into understanding a particular. Uh, area of study. It's this constant generation of this surface knowledge. It's really, for the most part, surface knowledge. Um, and and that actually serves the purpose, you know, of of perpetuating the system. Just you know, maintaining it just the way it is. Because unless you have depth, you know, your your understanding, it is difficult to launch a su- successful campaign against many of these structures that uh-huh. are. So well supported financially and culturally. I think the other thing is that often educators do not question their own privilege and their mm-hmm. own allegiance to the perpetuation. So even though they may you know, be progressive, there is at some point mm-hmm. their privilege and their mm-hmm. allegiance to that privilege be, begins to be questioned. And at that point, often many drop off or, or push back. There's also an unwillingness by some to suspend with a kind of disbelief. Like they're there's they're so educated in this abyssal divide, in this, in this belief that there's only one way to be human, that mm-hmm. it's the core of them because they've been, they've been learning this, you know, since they were we children, you know, yeah. <laughs> tiny little yeah. and, and so to to suddenly, you know, accept that other people may see the world differently, that they may understand their humanity humanity differently um mm-hmm. that there are particularities yes there's universals but their particularities related mm-hmm. to the cultural values beliefs history you know um and, and our mm-hmm. geographic locations all of these different elements you know feed into the context in which we're trying to survive as human beings and so Depending on the conditions in which people are, are attempting to survive, those conditions will dictate how we understand mm-hmm. the world. So how yeah. can we, you know? But there's this unwillingness to suspend with their disbelief, and yeah. they want to believe that there's just one way to be human. There's there's only one you know one legitimate way that should have authority. Um, and so as a consequence, we just keep perpetuating you know the same old same
0: old. Yeah. Well, especially when the, the critical challenge comes from students. Uh, there's a hierarchy of knowledge and a hierarchy of power, and that uh, is trying to dismantle that. So um, I see a lot of reaction yes. to student <laughs> power, or, you know, in, in the academy. Yeah. Uh, well, is there anything else you would like to uh, add to Um, this discussion of your work. Uh, I I do want to point out, um, I was at the Frere at 50 conference at the University of South Carolina. Um, Students in in my department, religious studies majors and religion and social justice majors, we have uh, two majors in our department, um, presented on our uh, utopian attempt to create a Freirean department model, Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, very much a dream. But um, uh, we got some very good response at a round table. Uh, But what came out at the same time were were the excellent um, uh, reissues of Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed on its 50th anniversary, and something I find really valuable, The Student Guide to Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Um, where you have, you know, his uh, lived in intellectual history mm-hmm. um, and interviews and you put uh, Paulo Freire in context and you uh, clarify some of the theoretical language um, uh, from the book. Um, so very much appreciated and appreciated for my students in in my religion education and activism class last semester uh so can you say something you know it's frary at 50 now 51 i guess um mm-hmm. where you know what's the the vision for your dream and the vision for this future i think that
1: um that so much of my work continues to be this this you know this movement towards a really increasing in whatever ways we can our capacity to love one another to, mm-hmm. respect, to engage our our humanity <clears throat> and the different ways in which humanity expresses itself in the world to create opportunities for people to live to their potential to be and express what they're here to express in the world and i think mm-hmm. that from the standpoint of of um you know from a spiritual context um there are those yeah. who who don't uh, ascribe to this, but I do. If I did not have a strong spiritual foundation, um, uh-huh. I, it would be, um, my life would be far more impoverished. Yeah. Yeah. Than, than what I have experienced. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it is, it is the, the spiritual foundation, which has allowed me also not to give up. Right. Uh-huh. And to believe in, in the capacity of all human beings to love and to um, to engage with one another in ways that are that cultivate nourishing relationships Um, but that part of that process requires our involvement or bringing our full self to the table bringing our bodies, minds hearts and spirits and our willingness to open ourselves up even when it's even when there's uncertainty Uh because in fact it's an illusion to think that there is any security that's an illusion
0: yeah Yeah.
1: you know that in fact what what exists is every day is different every um, you know every day it brings opportunities for us Uh to express our love and to express a living pedagogy that Uh that moves us towards a greater sense of connection and breaks the separation. And if we want to understand oppression, we have to understand Uh that these are forces that create separation, that separate us. You know, Uh separate from ourselves, separate us from each other, separate us from the world, and separate us from the force of life that created us. And I believe that that so much of, of how I see my work continuing is in looking for, you know in simply moving in the different avenues that i feel called to uh-huh. to continue to express that message and and that the only the only people that can change that is uh-huh. for us to change it human beings created this mess human beings have the responsibility to transform it and i believe firmly i mean why i'm able to maintain a certain enthusiasm you know at, at, at uh-huh. 60 Mm-hmm. After all of the visit, doing work and a kind of vitality, I think is because I absolutely believe that this project is not utopian out there that is impossible, but it is a possible living utopia, something that we have to live and we have to find how to do that in each day because tomorrow is completely implicated by what we do today. So all we need to do is start here, start where we're at. In the same ways that we talk about starting where our students at, we have to start where we're at. And from there, move forward in ways that allow us to unfold um, with an emancipatory spirit of love and well-being.
0: Well, that's a good note to end on. Antonio Darter, thank you so much you're welcome you're welcome thank you for having me thank you for joining me for the interview with Antonia Darter I'm Tina Pippen your host and I have a team that helps me produce this podcast including the producer China Wilson and audio engineer Aaliyah Harris the theme music for Nothing Never Happens is by Lance Eric Hagen, performed by Lance Eric Hogan and Aviva and the Flying Penguins. Our interstitial music is by Lance Eric Hogan and our outro music is by Paul Meyer.